a lot of things that she mentioned in that convo that are enlightening and exactly. are and are also relevant to things happening in other parts of Africa right now. Like I think it came up on on the culture one time, and I said, you know, I spoke to a, a Tunisian lady, and it made me appreciate of my freedom. But you know, right now in Zimbabwe, next door to to South Africa, my home country, people are being barred from being able to express themselves people are being abducted you know i i remember i mentioned to to i forgot who i was telling about how robert mugabe's photographer got his job the guy didn't go for an interview man i'm telling you the president saw some of his pictures and said look i want this guy to take photos of me dog they came in the night and kidnapped that guy <laughs> no shit really? they kidnapped that guy they took him to a location and they took off the bag of his face and they're like, look, okay, from now on, you're going to be the president's official photographer. You know, do you accept this job? It's a high profile job, et cetera, et cetera. I think he only lasted like three or four years and then he didn't renew his contract or whatever, but that's how he got the job. Did he want, I mean, I guess it's a good job, but like. It's a good job, but that's a crazy He wasn't given a choice. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Stan, what's up? Yeah, all good, man. All good. I see that you guys were talking about what's happening there in Zim, man. Yeah, this is a guy that I actually follow. Like he also has a he also has a podcast, Magellan Clove. Mm. Turns out that hey, home is also one of these uh, politically aware cats, you know, like that are also trying to get involved in that 31 July movement. And then I got to see some of the movements of what was happening. So it turned out that even if you were going to try to do something, there wouldn't be more than three or four people at a time that would be actually gathered up. But then if it was a case where you were seen holding up some kind of a placard or whatever, they'd be like, okay, yeah, now I must follow these guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now now it's a case where, okay, these guys are probably going to try and, you know, incite something. Because according to the government over there, it's a case of where now you want to say things about our government, that clearly it means you want to get people to... Uh, to 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 get riled up and then they're going to go and burn shit up. We must deal with you accordingly. And you know how they dealt with him? They dealt with that guy. Four o'clock in the morning, you know, they had uh, three unmarked cars pull up at this at this guy's crib, and then they arrested him in the home. Nigel type of a thing. Yeah, Nigel. Really? Yeah, dog. Like I, I was actually following up the developer. It, it was him. Uh, another cat called Nyak. <laughs> I've been tweeting as as the shit is happening. Yeah, I was like, at the moment, I'm at McGregor Police Station, uh, got arrested, you know, yeah, I'm going to keep uh, giving development. What, what, then, what, what, kind of, what kind of cops are those that didn't confiscate his phone? Hey, I don't know, man. And, nah. both of, and, the, thing is, and the thing is, both of them, you know, like, were out mm. there, you know, tweeting this thing. So, I don't know, maybe, I, I, I guess maybe they are allowing people to keep their phone. That's probably the difference between the old regime and the during, current regime. During an abduction, like, I end up abducting you, but you know, you can keep your phone. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's why I'm out. kind of confused, because I, I talk with Robert Mugabe going out, like they were replacing him with someone better. No. Is it just as usual? You know, this is Africa, man. We mustn't forget that, you know, and that hunger for power will always be in every person who takes the reins in any country. You know, it's very few African leaders who are mature enough to call their tenure when it's up. So, you know, these guys, firstly, how they took over the country should have told you that this shit was never going to be peaceful. It was a coup. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
You understand what I mean? I mean, how do you how do you have a hostile takeover that turns into something peaceful? I mean, yeah, and, and to even give an example, I mean, uh, Matilda, over there, like, isn't it that uh, your president, Buhari, like, this is his second term as president. Like, the first time he was president was in the 1980s, correct? And yeah. wasn't he, and at that time, wasn't he a general in the yeah, army? Yeah, he was. Oh, Nigeria how- has had many a coups. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I know, I know how coups work and everything. I just, I don't know, because I, I thought, well, now that I think about it, honestly, it makes sense. Yeah, because the, yeah, cause the first time he got into power was during a coup, and then the second time was through an election. So many yeah. people thought that because now he's been voted in, we might see some difference. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. But it doesn't really change and, much. And, and just because Robert Mugabe had been reigning terror for so long, doesn't mean the person who comes after him isn't going it's to reign terror. It's going to be terror. better. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's yeah. just it's, it just means that it's a pass of the baton. Same team, team yeah. Blue. Yeah, just like South Africa, boy. Just mm. like here as well. You know, with like you know, it's us as well. You know, basically our country got passed along to the same crew of gents. You know, yeah. like I get in power and then I pass it on to my to my homie, and then he gives it on to his homie, and he gives it on to his homie, and and so and so and so. So it seems like you know, South Africa is getting the crew love treatment. Yeah. I'm telling yeah. you. Yeah, I guess we can start now, yeah? Yeah. All right, guys. Hey, this is Matilda. What up, what up, what up? Uno here. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> if you think of that Eminem song, then you'll know who this is. This is Dad. Okay. <laughs> I could see you were really thinking about that one. <laughs> Hi, how are you guys doing? Doing great, thanks. Matilda and how are you? Honestly tired. Like I'm ready for this week to be over and it's just Monday. I was I was about to ask you if it's life fatigue or it's just fatigue of the day. <laughs> I think it's more of a life one, but we move still. Yeah. How about so you? It's life fatigue, but uh, you're not suicidal. Oh, oh, damn. Oh, that got <laughs> dark really fast. <laughs> no, because, because I mean, suicide isn't... Aren't people who are tired of living the ones who commit suicide? Yeah, I guess I'm just tired, not necessarily, like, suicidal. Like, like tired, you're not tired of living. <laughs> I'm not tired of living, exactly. I'm, I'm just tired of, like, the day-to-day. Hope yeah. you're not suicidal, because that got dark. No, man, hey, let me tell you, it's been it's been a rough few days, man. Yeah, I, tell us about it. I lost I lost a homie, man, this time last week. Oh wow. Yeah, my housemate, actually. Wow. Yeah. How? Um a young case of COVID mixed with diabetes plus T B plus mm-hmm. a heart heart condition. Two weeks it was checkmate for him. Oh, wow. Which which is funny to mention checkmate because we had an ongoing game of chess, <laughs> you oh. guys, and now it's unfinished. You know, oh, so wow. so yeah. Are you okay? You know, to be honest with you, like I'm thinking about how losses have affected me in, the, in recent years, and I think the last time I lost someone was in 2014 or 13 or 15. I'm not sure one of those, and it impacted me in a way that I only realized like six months after the, the ordeal where I realized that I was in trauma. I, had, I just found myself breaking down to someone, my landlady, you know, I was yeah. like, oh my God, I can't take this anymore, you know, and I just started crying and I didn't even know where that was coming from, you know. Mm-hmm. So at this point, 
I'm afraid of the impact of this thing on me. Let me just say that 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 is a thought that kind of terrifies me because mm-hmm. I can't measure it. You know, it's not it's not like something that you can say uh, if this happens, then this is definitely going to happen. You know, dealing loss traumatizes everyone, and yes. trauma trauma scrambles the way you think. You know what I'm saying? So I'm very worried about myself. So I've, I've taken some time off. I'm chilling, you know, trying to yeah. figure my way through this shit. Do you have anyone to talk to, like, professionally or anything? Or if even if it's friends, family, anyone that you're sharing the grief with? Just anyone, really, because it helps to talk about it. Yeah, you know. Uh-huh. Still. No, I'm saying, well, I did put my hand up. Thanks, Dougie. That's my homie. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I hate to do this. I hate to quote R. Kelly, you know? Oh, gosh. But I, I'm, I'm <laughs> he, going to... <laughs> he did say a lot of things that we thought were inspirational back then. You, so you, understand, you, you understand what I'm saying? One, one particular thing that he says is from that song, I Wished, uh, to the homies that we lost. He says, um, it's, it's easy for folks to say, Rob, just live on. But it's... But it's hard because I'm dying every second that you're gone, you know? Mm. And that's, that's, that's the experience that I'm getting. It's like, dog, it happened today. Tomorrow, people are just expecting me to be at work. Life like, just what? keeps moving on, right? I, what the fuck? Do you understand? I used to live with this nigga. I used to call this nigga every morning to put on the geezer. You, you understand what I mean? So that the water can get hot. Now who's who's who am I calling to put on the geezer? Like my life has changed. Like just a basic thing like that. And and everyone just like, yeah, niggas, it's life. Let's move on. We've lost a lot of people. Let's go. Okay, fine. Maybe over time you'll get over it. But I mean this shit happened yesterday, dog. <laughs> can, can, yeah, you give me, can you give me a break? Nah, true that, true that. And I mean, it's it's a different situation when it's somebody that you've been talking to on the regular type of a thing. You, un- you understand what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. Because like part now, of your day-to-day. Exactly. Yeah. Because, you know, it'll be one thing if you lost somebody that you only talk to like every three months or every four months type of a thing. Like it's still going to hurt, right? Yeah. I mean... But then, it, like, it won't hurt you as as much as it would be with somebody that you actually talk to more on the regular, you know? Yo, what I mean? it, what's disturbing me really is that I don't know if I'm supposed to be okay. I don't know what I feel. And I'm also thinking about, damn, you know, like, people have been losing people j- during COVID. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? People yeah. have been taking L's in terms of friends, friends and family. And now that, you know, it's, it's a bit closer to home, you know, you, you're starting to understand that even if COVID is over, our world has changed. It has. Your, my world has changed. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and we can be breathing clear air. We can be COVID free, whatever. But, you know, the, the L's that we took during this period of time are what have changed us. Yeah, that's true. That's very much true. Yeah, like what you're saying is 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 valid, you know, to say that the elf that you wanna be, you know, taking especially like what makes some of them even more harder to, to deal with is that once this thing is done, now you, you can't really like go out and physically be comforted, you know, like to be to better deal with the situation, you know? Yeah. Because 
especially over here because you've got these regulations and I don't even know whether they're being adhered to like it's another discussion but that thing of you know only 50 people can actually you know like be involved in the funeral and things like that when I actually experienced that thing bro that thing is it's, it's a trip man it really mm. is a trip Mm. where everybody actually goes to the to the graveyard now people can't even you know like bunch up together now you must be all you know spread apart from each other so you know you can't even console anybody just gotta just look on you know like that 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 is actually kind of bleak yeah yeah you know yeah I, i just yeah sorry no no go ahead go ahead matilda sorry yeah, no, it's just something that you had mentioned about, like, should you be okay? You don't know what you should be. I don't think there's any, you shouldn't feel any pressure to feel any kind of way because I think you're still processing it. It's literally just been a week. Yeah. Um, I think that you should just be trying your best to um, to go through the motions, really, because it will hit whenever it hits and you'll, like, it'll really settle in whenever it does. And there's no rush to feel that. Just keep doing your day-to-day, not thinking about what you're expected to be feeling. Like I think personally. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. For sure. One, one thing that um, I want, I want to talk about also is like the last time we, we tried to do an African express, we spoke to that lady and one thing I didn't understand is like, you know, if you're an activist and you're, be- you're being given like an opportunity to talk about what you're active about, but maybe like there's one or two discrepancies, you would rather not have the platform to talk about your, your subject matter, you know? And for me, I didn't, I didn't understand that because it's like at the end of the day, we were educated through that conversation. We might have asked a few light questions like, how do you react when a guy sends you a guy that sends too many emojis? That's a light question. And maybe it's not relevant to the overall struggle of people in, in Tunisia or whatever. But 80% of that conversation was educational and informative. But you mean to tell me that you're too real to be free? You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't understand that. That's one thing I didn't understand. Yeah, just to give an explanation for whoever is listening, we recorded an episode like maybe a week or two ago with a North African, um, I guess she's an activist as well. And we, we were basically just having conversations about like what their perspective is like, because generally we are sub-Saharan Africans and we usually don't hear their perspectives and everything. So it was yeah. really nice having her on. She was from Tunisia and we learned so much, but I guess somewhere in the conversation made her feel uncomfortable i guess mm-hmm. i don't know what where exactly because i also listened back to the conversations that we had we recorded it because we're actually going to drop it as an episode mm-hmm. i i seriously don't know where i don't know where like mm-hmm. we went left do you want and, to like, know where she, do you know no, I'm, I'm asking i'm not 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 to say that i know but my question <laughs> is do we want to know I thought he was about to tell yeah, me. Me too. But he, was, he was going to break it down for us. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I mean, I'd love to know, but I took some time guessing. You know, I took some time to really think about it, you know, because the feedback was that some of the questions, the way she answered them, and that she answered them even, could be perceived as though they're propagating the idea 
of Islamophobia, which is like, or, or pushing Islamophobia, which is the the dislike, fear, and discrimination of of Muslim people. Like one such thing was when we raised the question of KFC, is there KFC in, in Tunisia or is there McDonald's actually? And then Stan made a joke. It's like, don't worry, it's all halal. You know, that's that's a joke, but it's also quite true. All, all those things are halal. But the reason why the question came up isn't even because of the franchise per se, but more about business and corruption and how the then president, uh, Ben Ali, blocked the McDonald's franchise from entering the country because they were doing business with the wrong partner. And he was the right partner, (laughs) the president. (laughs) (laughs) You, You know, so... When, when I thought about why she she wouldn't want the episode to go live, I understood. You know, it's because she's speaking to people who don't have that background of censorship or of... Mm-hmm. of uh, oh. We're not sensitive to how sensitive the topics are, I Exa- guess. Exactly. So we were just asking it without... Exactly. Um, like when we started talking about racism as well, you know, and she spoke about... <laughs> she spoke about people who identify as white, not white mm-hmm. people. <laughs> yeah. You know? But I the- feel like that part she was comfortable about speaking about because um, eventually in this conversation, we're going to go into like some of the things we actually mm. had discussions about. But mm. I think she was basically talking about the concept of being Arab, for instance, mm. how it's actually not a race. Mm, but mm, that mm, we mm. perceive it as a race. So like, you know, people that are Middle Eastern, I would consider them brown. I, <laughs> she was saying that they call themselves white, basically, mm. in North Africa. Yeah, yeah. I think she was comfortable about speaking about race because isn't that what her, that's what her activism yeah, she, is I about. Think, but But what I picked up is that she was comfortable speaking about it because it's part of what she's an activist for. The subject mm. in itself is controversial at home yes oh true i mean think about it you you, these people these are people that we call arabic to us arab prior to that i thought it was like a race an umbrella term yo you guys are all arabic right (laughs) no no not arabic arab arab sorry i think arabic is the language okay yeah you're right yeah arabic is the language to describe the person yeah the arab yeah. Okay. But then, you know, you sit down and you think about, she, she I remember because I, I asked the question, like, what's your experience in the context of Tunisia regarding racism and how they experience racism is white Arabs versus black Arabs. I'm like, yo, man, but aren't you guys all Arabs? <laughs> what's, yeah. what's the racism about? You know, and I think about it, it's not the same as saying a black South African and a white South African. It's more how like... Is it say, not the same? It's more like saying a white Zulu person or a white Yoruba person versus a, a black Yoruba person. Because I actually isn't no, Arab actually the culture? Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it linked to the heritage and not the country, the nation? No, but if you actually think about it, she was talking about how there's a history of like slavery, right? Yeah. And so there's negative connotations attached to being black. And so that is why there's a stigma attached to like being black specifically. So mm. there's still this hierarchy within their culture, even if they're all Arab and they're all Tunisian. I know like I can literally give a quote. She had said like, um, 
sorry, let me flip to because I took notes when I listened back at it. She was just saying that her blackness clashes with her Tunisianness because while they they try to identify as Tunisian and everybody's trying to be under that umbrella. Her blackness, because it's so, like, it's physically obvious, like, as compared to other, like, minorities, like the Jews, who are able to drop their Jewishness sometimes mm. and still claim this, like, whiteness, mm-hmm. come off mm-hmm. as just just mm-hmm. Tunisian. Mm-hmm. Unlike them, who are black, who are physically different, they can't really do that. So I, I would kind of liken it to, like, white South Africans and black South Africans. No, because also but, but, the Arabs but, also came from other regions to settle in Tunisia, you know, but in think North about Africa. This. Think about this. You know, you're saying to you, it sounds like black South Africans and white South Africans. But to me, it doesn't. Because like when I think of Arab, and maybe this is part of the misconception, or maybe I've got the right idea, you know, hopefully someone can correct me. But when I, when I think of that, I, I can't help but think of Islam as a religion associated with that race or culture or tribe right now we have white arab muslim muslim and we have black arab muslim all occupying this country called tunisia yet they're still racist in fact they're so homogenous that despite the racial differences they still meet on a religious similarity but here in essay yeah. black south african religion and white south african religion are not the same Wow, yeah, it's true. Because why do you think we have this thing, this this running joke of white church and black church? Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, you know, I think I'm starting to see what you're saying. Because when we were speaking about the concept of being Arab, she mentioned that it's a language, a culture, and a civilization. Exactly. And that it's so it's attached to exactly um, to, um, being Muslim to Islam basically and then what you're saying is that if they share basically the same culture same religion like why do they still have an issue like gelling together yeah Yeah. I see what you mean like there's differences with black South Africans and white South Africans but you need to also understand that they share different histories which is kind of what I was trying to hone on like Mm. she was talking about how like a lot of black people or who are considered as black are linked to slavery and where she grew up in the south part of tunisia a lot of the racism is very rooted in oh this is your history even though there were white slaves let's Mm. um, she talked about that as well because like in tunisia during the arab slave trade they also brought people in from europe like around italy and everything there were slaves from but Mm. then there was still a hierarchy in slavery where like the slaves were not treated the same so Mm. black slaves from what i got from what she was saying correct me if you're listening and you know better it sounded like black slaves were treated worse and the stigma stuck with them yeah. even after slavery yeah so like i think that those things are what they attach to their racism which is unique it's kind of different from like the history of south africa but yeah. you can still see where it originates from and yeah. let's not also talk, let's also talk about globally there yeah. is still an anti-black sentiment and they are not exempt from that you know yeah. what i mean and I think majority of them are the white Arabs, as they claim to be, you know. Do you get what I mean? So they're still the majority, which allows them access to pick on the minorities. Mm. You know, the other thing that, like, 
um, was like outstanding in that conversation is like how, I don't know, maybe I understood it wrong, but it's just also how our guest was, you know, very concerned about what she said and where this was going, you know, like where the episode was going to go, where the content was going to be published. And like, you think about, I don't know. <laughs> you know what? The more I mm. listened to the episode, the more I started to kind of understand as we went on. Yeah. Because there was a part where she talked about the fact that after the revolution, because they had a revolution that ended in 2011, yeah. Yeah. and they were under um, basically... Uh, like what they called those a dictatorship a dictatorship exactly prior <laughs> to that so sorry um you know nigeria is a democracy now so like i forget what that's called <laughs> <laughs> but um, no that's funny she was basically saying how they are they're basically a new democracy right so they're yeah. very volatile and like mm. i feel like for her, she believes, and obviously she has more background, so this must be rooted in actual fact, mm. that like a lot of things, like if there's like an uprising or something, it's 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 still a young democracy and it can be shaked by shook. Mm-mm. It can be shook by any... Shaking. Any, yeah, any <laughs> little thing. So yeah. they can't try to like... They're still trying to establish themselves basically as a democracy. So you yeah. can't be shaking the table too much. Yeah. Like how she was talking about how there's no race-based data for North mm. Africa or specifically Tunisia mm. because they're still under this umbrella of being Tunisian. Mm. But that's not their real day-to-day. The day-to-day is actually like there is racism. But mm. they're trying to ignore that so they can all just mm, get a mm, 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 It's kind mm. of like they're being held together by tape and like anything that shakes that can cause them to break again. Yeah. But they're not trying to shake the table too much. And I think that's the truth about a lot of young democracies. Like mm. you never want to do anything too much. Like America, for instance, is very established in their democracy. They've been mm. democratic for a really long time. Mm. So like I think for Africa it's kind of different. So like you have to approach it differently. So I, I started understanding why she was treading lightly on a lot of topics. You get what mm. I mean? So mm. it kind of it kind of makes sense. Also also like when you think about the fact that your society in part is governed by politics and by religion. Because we all, even though we are black and white. And we have our differences because we're black and or white. Our society... Or or other things, yeah. Yeah, or other things, (laughs) you know. Yeah. Our society, at the end of the day, is still, for the large majority, governed by one religion. A seemingly conservative religion. From our perspectives, maybe, we'll say it's it's a conservative religion. But, like, think about how... Well, at least here in South Africa, you know... We've got, I mean, just now we celebrated opening, I'm not, we, I wasn't there, but they, they opened a, a Satanist church. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. A big, it was a big thing. You know, there was on, it was on the news. The guy was very proud of it. <laughs> you know? <And> I'm <laughs> but, like... <laughs> but to be fair, man, but to be fair, the Church of Satan in America has not officially endorsed the South African chapter as one of their own. So it I, seems like... Wow, imagine. Yeah, yeah, so it seems like this one is it's more like an independent branch type of a thing. So I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just looking from the outside, you know. I'm just looking from the outside. 
but 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 you know, like the the reason why I brought this whole Satanism thing up because that's an extreme opposite of of whatever belief system exists in you know with Christianity. You know, but in South Africa that is allowed. They'll tell you, yes, yeah, South Africa is a Christian country, but they got legally a church of Satan. But now in other countries where can I just correct you there? Yeah. Uh, te- technically, we are a secular country. We separate the church and the state. Oh, okay. You see, that's that's a great thing. That's a great thing. It emphasizes my point even more because I think in North African countries, some of them anyway, if not all of them, I don't know, it's hard to separate the religion from the state. Mm-hmm. And, and that is literally mixing politics with religion. Yep. And I don't know what kind of outcome you're anticipating, but it's not going to be positive doing that. Because I think one one contributing factor to a happy society is religious freedom, religious liberty. But I guess we have to be um, cognizant of how different states work. Like yeah. I know a lot of Arab states are very, very close to religion. Like a lot of them are Islamic states. Mm. Well, Tunisia specifically, I think, is a secular state actually because mm. um, yeah. she did she talk did about how, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was even a time that they were trying to force anti-Islam um, mm. rules. Like mm. they were forcing women to not wear their hijabs and yeah, stuff like yeah, that to yeah, achieve yeah. that secularism. Yeah. So um, Tunisia might be the exception, but then also just speaking generally about like religious freedoms, like it mm. might sound sensible to you, but then that's you coming from your cultural context. Yeah, from, from my background, yeah the absolute or the right thing necessary. It might work for certain communities is what I'm trying to say. I yeah, think. but, but you know, that's, that's, that's another thing to talk about because like, how can our society expect us to be happy for all the same, but we're not the same. We just aren't the same. We're different. We're different from the tone in our skin color to the tone in our voices, to what we believe in. So, when 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 you see a, a society that you know is dictated to how they ought to believe and what they ought to believe, for me that's that's worrisome because instead of celebrating the differences, you know, we're trying to make us all the same. And if you're making us all the same, you're you're, you're robbing me of my unique experience of myself because you're not giving me the chance to to learn for what works for me. You're telling me that this is how you must be. You know, I, I want to give you another example. Like, so after after we had that chat with uh, with that lady and she expressed her disappointment in the fact that we went out of context, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I, I, I didn't understand, like I mentioned earlier, I didn't understand why or how we had deviated. It made me so curious, like, how is that society? You know, so I went and I sourced another podcast to listen to from, from the same country, Tunisia. But... You know, this one was not based in Tunisia and one of the people contributing is three three ladies in Canada who um, make this podcast and one lady was from Tunisia. And I found one episode where they spoke about their heritage, you know, and what I picked up, the greatest difference I picked up between our guest and this podcaster is that our guest had a more recent heritage in, in Tunisia, meaning like she had only been 
away from the country for four years out of possibly 30 years of living. That means 26 years of her life she was there. This other one, the one living in Canada, wasn't born there. She's only been to, to Tunisia twice in her life. So the conservativeness towards speaking on the subject of Tunisia is very different. You know, this girl was even vulgar in her expression of her experience. I don't imagine our guest ever saying a vulgar word. In fact, I anticipate that had we said or through some of the vulgar words that we might have said, we might have made her feel uncomfortable because vulgar is socially unacceptable. But which society is her reference point? Her reference point is the Tunisian society, the conservative society, whereas this one is also from Tunisia, heritage is from Tunisia, but her society is, that's not her background. You know, she might come from there, she might speak the language, but she expresses herself the way she wants to because she wasn't taught to be afraid of, of consequence of being maybe censored by the government or by parents or whoever would tell you not to have your own opinion on what's happening in the country, mm-hmm. you know? And that's why, I don't know, like, it made me wonder, like... Is it like, you, you were you just looking at that as specifically like Tunisia or just generally African states? Because I know that can be true for a lot more African countries as well that are very mm, conservative. Mm, 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 because like a lot of times you might think a certain way, but when you're so tied to your culture and stuff like that, especially uh, really conservative cultures, your tendencies to censor what you're saying as yeah. compared to someone that has grown up here and really again no consequences for what you say so it, it's i think it's true for a lot of cultures if you really think about it that's true it's, it's very true. true it's very yeah. true. i mean never mind just religiously like i don't want to illustrate too much into the politics but there are some countries where you know you can say whatever you want but just don't talk better about the politicians otherwise you're going to turn up missing that's how you yeah. end up missing mm. Like Rwanda, for one. I mean, Rwanda <laughs> right now, yeah, I said it. Because Rwanda right now is the the one decade of, you know, Africa right now in terms of uh, the economy and how they're being progressive and stuff like that. But just talk about the government sideways one time. Mm. Yeah, good luck. Mm. Good luck. Mm. That's what I can say, you know. And there are many other countries that are like that, you know, even like what's happening now in Zimbabwe, you know, like to yeah. just even to just be out there with a placard that even says no violence. They'll mm. arrest you and say that you're trying to incite violence, yeah. even though you've got a sign that says no violence. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's, it's a trip, right? It really is a trip. Yeah, yeah, funny that you bring up Rwanda because like that brings up a different conversation in what we kind of had talked about mm. um, because it's this idea of like when you're trying to form a new state and try to let go of like, you know, people's differences in the state, you try to identify basically as one Okay, I, I'm not explaining this well. Let me explain how the conversation had come about and maybe it'd make more sense. Okay. Um, we had talked about how, like, you know, in Tunisia, they have so many, like, historical backgrounds and everything. But when they had a president, I believe his name was Bourguiba, um, mm. he embarked on this national project, basically, to create a national identity that mm. everyone can, like, identify as Tunisian, regardless of whether you're Black Tunisian or you're Italian Tunisian or whatever. Mm. Um 
But when we were having that discussion, I had that question of like, do we have to let go of our individual identities? I guess this also applies for other African states like Rwanda with the Houthi and Tutsi people. Now, like they're not actually allowed to identify as either of those tribes. Now they have to identify as Rwandans, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, is it necessary for stability in a lot of African states to identify as one thing? Or do you see any benefits with us, like, acknowledging our histories in a country? Uh, you know, uh, the word xenophobia, you know, is like, the I don't know, simplified the fear of people from other countries or whatever, you know, even though we all look the same. So for me, I feel like looking the same shouldn't dismiss the fact that we're different but being different shouldn't dismiss the fact that we're the same in the sense that we're all human beings you know so it's always up to the individual to find their own identity right but me finding my identity individual from your identity should not make me ideally anyway any less of a person in society than you yeah, that that's definitely fair. But mm. I guess I'm not even talking about um, anyone necessarily being less than mm. each mm. other. Mm. But like, you know, okay, to bring it home for me, like Nigeria, in like 1967, I believe, really close to when our country really became independent of the British rule, we had a war, the Biafra War, where like there was basically an attack on like a specific tribe of people. Mm. And like people are now trying to hide under this, oh, but we're all Nigerian thing. Do you get what I mean? Mm -hmm. But uh, we have histories and like we have cultures and our cultures can be different from other cultures, even though we live within the same country. So like, do you think it's necessary for stability within a country for everyone to lose their individual identities in like your tribes, say the Zulu tribe or the Hosa? Did mm -hmm. I say that right? Yeah. Um, like, do we let go of that to take on the South African identity or the Nigerian identity? And does that make for a more stable country? Because I know even in the conversation we had, you had talked about how Denmark is one of the best places to live in just because mm. everyone looks alike, everyone mm. speaks the same languages and stuff mm. like that. So do you think mm. for African states, because a lot of us have been pulled together, not by choice, mm. but like mm -hmm. we have differences. Do you think it's necessary for us to let go of those identities as tribes to take on this, for instance, the Tunisian identity? I think it's too late, eh? <laughs> right. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, think, I think it's too late because I think I'm going to use the South African example here because of, officially there are 11 languages, right? But then culturally, there's more than 11 different types of identities over there. And then mm. we all got... Uh, bundled up together to say that okay guys now you're South African some people might feel they are others don't feel like but no before I'm South African I am Zulu or I am Tonga or I am Tosa or I'm Venda first before anything else you know mm. so there's, there'll still be that element inside some people to be like but before anything else this is who I am as a person this is my language this is my culture mm. so to try and you know like develop an identity by saying that you know what Scrap that thing. You are South African. Ah, it's too late. 
Honestly, it's too late for that. This would be a drastic thing to do because I'm actually thinking how would it actually be pulled off? Because most provinces, you know, like they've got their distinctive tribes over there. What if they were made as their own separate countries? I know it's a controversial thing to say because the last time they tried to do that was during about eight days and they were called homelands, you know? So that idea would try to become self-sufficient based on your culture or the language that you speak was tried before and it wasn't really successful. But but then there was that kind of, uh, that kind of unity among the people because, you know, they could better relate to each other. And then suddenly you, you get told that, you know what, nah, now you must mix in with all these other cultures and, you know, you're going to make it work. Some people mm. were more receptive to going along with it, others not as much. So, mm. you know, you, you get a mixed bag of how people are going to react to such things. Yeah, you know, I was going to say, like, uh, I don't know, cultural diversity is something that even was part of Madiba's agenda. You know, if we're going to talk about you know, the rainbow nation, a rainbow yep. is one unit, yes, but it's one unit that comprises of different colors. Mm-hmm. Now, when that guy was making that statement saying we are a rainbow nation, we are one unit that embraces each other's differences. You know what I'm saying? In fact, we embrace our own differences from other cultures and we embrace the differences of other other cultures to ours. You know what I'm saying? And that's what I understood about the concept of a rainbow nation. So now when when Matilda asks us the question of um, do I think that maybe our societies would be more prosperous or it would be better if we were more, you know, channeled towards the concept of a, a, a singular identity or national identity. The answer would be, it would depend on what that national identity is. Because if our national yeah. identity is telling us that, okay, look, all of us, we need to believe in white Jesus. You know, you, you're going to find people who don't, who just don't want to believe in a white Jesus. Because where are you going to get a white guy in, in Israel? Those are uh, Jews or Arabs at, at best. You know what I'm saying? So how is that a white guy? That's a Middle Eastern. So now you want to come in, you want to make this society based, you know, on Middle Eastern Jesus? Come on. that Or, or, or non-Middle Eastern Jesus. That doesn't make sense. Already we have a discrepancy. So it depends on what the leaders of all these nations want to put together as as what our 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 national corporate identity is now when i think of tunisia for example yeah. maybe the mistake that that first president who tried to put to bring to everybody together made is that he himself decided what the national or him and his panel his presidency or whatever decided what the national identity should be without realizing excluded certain people and cultures from the national identity and that is always going to cause contention Mm-hmm. You know, no matter, even if we're 90, 98, and I remember our guest corrected me when, when I mentioned um, that apparently 90, 98% of that population is, 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 is Muslim or Islam in their practice. It's like, yeah, okay, fine, but where do you get those numbers from? Who, who told you that? And, <laughs> and, and that, that's true. You know, it's, it's, it's an agenda to push this na- nation as having an umbrella religion that is that covers everybody which might not be the case and maybe some people don't want to be described as as either islam muslim or arabic or arab whatever you want to say but because of this person's vision of a national identity i'm forced to conform to this you know and 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 that already makes it a difficult country for me to live in because what if i don't identify as that 
it's like living in a country that says to you, look, we don't give a fuck what you identify as. You're either male or female. You know? Yeah, no. It's tricky. <laughs> it's, quite, it's quite tricky. So, so what's so? Yeah, it's, it, it seems to me that yeah, uh, you would not be able to cope living under a dictatorship, and it's and it's good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's what it sounds like. But I mean, technically, I don't think they're under a dictatorship anymore. It's no, just no, no, that yeah. I think that they just find more. Um, I guess they find more stability in that. I don't know because like I've also had a conversation like not so long ago, my Uber driver was an Ethiopian and there was some unrest going on in Ethiopia not too long ago. I don't know if it's still going on right now, but it's, um, it was based on again, tribes. And this guy was of the opinion that like it's really necessary for Ethiopia to, to drop that mentality of thinking as tribes rather than thinking for the, overall good of the country you know to move forward and like mm. i think both sides have an like a agreement and i think that honestly we should have this conversation separately mm. um because it's it, there's a lot to really delve into and unpack maybe also look at different states that have achieved that and it worked because i know the only reason it's working in rwanda is because it's a dictatorship mm. Yeah. <laughs> but it's 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 a polite dictatorship. A polite dictatorship. <laughs> yes. Exactly. It's mind blowing. This guy in Rwanda is running his country, you know, he's concerned about the people, but he's not giving up the power. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah that's that's very interesting i've you know, heard that his fear is that like if he passes it on to someone else they're gonna fall back into where they were before yeah but <laughs> i mean uh, one day you're gonna yeah. die and then what he's, he's got trust it's issues <laughs> he's got yeah. a lot of trust issues <laughs> yeah tabon biggie was like that as well mm. you know that's why he tried to go for a third term mm. as, as our president and then yeah Nick, and, and niggas were like, nah, you see now. Yeah, as, like, as much as you did, like you did good things over here, but as soon as you said third term, nah, this mm. nigga has to go. Yeah, it's like, oh, and he was sitting there like, oh man, if if I let these niggas run the country, they're gonna fuck my shit up. A sensible thing would be to set up a government so, like, there will be continuum. Right? Like, because at the end of the day, you're going to die one day. And, like, that instability that you're fearing might as well just happen. Like, you can decide to pass it down to your relatives, but still, though. Like, still. Yeah. It's, I don't think it's a smart plan. Like, because it's working right now, but, like, how many, like, is this sustainable? I don't know. Yeah. But another thing um, I guess we haven't talked about is how she explained how she experienced anti-Black racism, which is, I think it's kind of different from... Okay, can like, I ask a question? Yeah. Yeah. Is it important? Is it necessary? Is it valid? And it's just a question to mm-hmm. mention anti-Black racism as anti-Black racism. No, explain that. I mean... Anti-black racism, you'd be saying racism directed towards black people from people who yeah. aren't black. Yeah. Yeah. So my question is, like, when we use that term, anti-black racism. Isn't it now because we're living in the time of identity politics, so anybody mm. can be persecuted against whether you are black, brown, yellow, purple, etc. You know? And it's a case where... 
Yep. I'm so sorry. I just need to verify, I'd like to understand Uno's question because mm. are you saying is it necessary for us to use that term when we're talking about anti-black racism? Or when we're talking about racism in general, like, okay, oh, because... because- on the other hand, you know, there are people who think that black people can't be racist. So when we're talking about racism, we're talking about it in one direction. Like, it's no, racism. No, but there's different races and there's different, like, there's different racism to different races. Like, mm. right? Mm. Mm. Like, again, like, this is something that, this is, by the way, but I, I know anti-black racism is specifically racism to black people. And it's kind of mm. different because it has different contexts than, mm. like, other racism. So I mm. think it's just to specify because that term, people of color, is too mm. general to speak about the specific issues that black people face. Mm. So I think it's just to be more specific. That's why you say anti-black racism. Okay. Yeah. Here's here's a here's a, a question. Okay, wait. What 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 is your question regarding anti-black racism? Before I ask my question, because we're gonna deviate. Oh no, it wasn't a question. I I was just mm. bringing up some of the things that we had talked about on the episode. You know, like mm. because she was just talking about how like it's kind of different, like from Indonesia and like say America, like because in America I think they just generally hate black people, but like I think in Tunisia there's more of like a cultural reference to it like there's stigmas attached to being black in that like your ancestors were slaves that kind of thing mm. not necessarily exclusively because of the skin color and she specified that that's mostly in the south mm. and there's also the fact that like every time she goes outside tunisia and even in tunis like some people see her and she's black and they're like oh you must not be from tunisia like mm. she's not even able to identify fully with being Tunisian because she's black, and yeah, just it's it, it takes a different coat basically in Tunisia or in no- North Africa generally. The race anti-black racism. Oh, that's very interesting, man. Like when I think about that question of identity, who or what determines how you identify yourself? You yourself, isn't it? No, it's society. No. You see, now we have the two polar extremes. And the question is, or the answer is, who do you allow to define who you are? Now, if you're a person who is going to allow society to define who you are, I personally feel like you're kind of lost because it's you who must decide who you, who you are, what your identity is. You know, so when, when someone says something like, look, Never mind that external perspective. I'll give you a real perspective. I've been living in SA my whole life. I'll never meet someone and tell them that I'm not from Zimbabwe because that's who I am. That's how I, it's part of how I define myself because if I wasn't born there, I wouldn't be who I am today. And that doesn't matter whether I speak the language or not, whether I've got a Zimbabwean passport or not. The fact is both my parents are from there. I can take you to my birthplace. I understand the language. It's part of my heritage. And you can't you can't rob me of that. You can't you know, people like to mock others. I don't know if it happens to you guys, but a lot of people like to mock other people for not being able to speak their mother tongues. And then for some reason that dilutes your heritage. But I'm like, man, I grew up different from you, you know, and just cause I grew up different from you doesn't make me any less of a person of that country than you are. 
And I personally don't care what your opinion is on how I grew up because we have different lives. So now when you start talking about identity politics, it's like, okay, fine. Who are you allowing to define you? It should be you who defines yourself. That's what I think. Yeah. yeah, in in theory, it should be you. Yeah, you say it should be. Exactly. Yeah, but but, but okay, it's not. The question is, what's stopping you from from? Oh, identifying? because society will treat you how society wants to treat you. But you also That's, have have a res- responsibility you have a to say? respond to that. Okay, so I had a conversation with one of my friend's brothers. He's younger and he was like, he doesn't like seeing himself as black. And we had to kind of have the conversation of why it's necessary for you to at least acknowledge the fact that you're black because society will treat you a specific way. And it's just necessary for you to be conscious as to what you're going to um how you're going to be treated. It's like a black man not realizing he's black and being stopped by the police. He's going to think that they're going to treat him like every other white man, but they're not. So it's important for him to know he's black. You here's don't a, think it is? Here's a quick question for you. A scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, we on the culture a few weeks ago, we had a discussion also about racism. And it came up that we all have had experiences of being you know, racialized you know, and I, I gave an example. It was me who gave the example. Like, um, you know, when I was growing up, white people used to come up to me and be like, yo, you know, you got such a great accent. You speak so well. You know, and I was like, thanks. You know, I took it as a compliment because I know where I came from. You know, I went to a lot of good schools. I was privileged enough to go to a lot of good schools to be educated with people who come from all over the world. You know what I'm saying? And there was no way that the way I speak was going to sound like the way someone from a rural area or a township in South Africa speaks, right? There was no way that was going to happen. But what these guys were trying to convince me in that conversation is that that phrase, you speak so well, is racially motivated, you know, and I... And it was my mistake to interpret that as something light when it was something that was more meant to attack me. So my question I posed to them is like, okay, wait, so you mean to tell me that in every interaction that I have with somebody who looks a bit different from me, I must be on edge and be prepared to correct whatever misconception you might have about me regarding my color. Mm. So much so that if you compliment me before I receive the compliment, I must look for the insult. No, oh, definitely not. I think that it's not, it's not an active thing. It's just a like, like I'm actually aware that I'm black. It doesn't mean that everything that you do, you have to see through that lens. It's just an awareness. But that's the thing. That's the thing. It's like, to what extent? Someone could say... A simple phrase like, ah, man, you know how you guys are. And they just, that time they're just talking about a group of people. And you interpret that you guys as, yeah, you guys, you black guys. And you now know? things are awkward. And now it's tense, you know. So I agree with the awareness, but you also need to read the situation relative to what's happening at the time. You know, if you're talking to a white person who says, come on, guys, let's go. And you're like, oh, what do you mean, guys? <laughs> you know, there's something nah, wrong. Nah, there's nah, something nah, wrong nah, with you. Yeah, yeah <laughs> now, now I agree. There you are. There you are bugging. In that case, 
Exactly. You know, context is key. Yeah, because so, context so is very much key. Th- that's, that's what I was saying. It's crazy when you're too real to be free. You're, you're, you're on edge looking for something to upset you. I don't know. I don't know, uh, Matilda. I'm not saying that I don't understand your point. I'm coming with the counter argument. Like, I've seen that. You know, I've seen, you know, there's this movie that I watched. I forgot the name. And this mother had to sit down to, and explain to her kid why the teacher at school thought he was a bad kid and why he got detention just because the teacher was white and the kid was black. And the mom was like, now I have to have that talk with him and make him realize that there'll be a lot of people got a problem with the color of your skin. You know, I'm like, okay, cool. That's fine. That does happen. But are you not indirectly setting up that person to be receptive to discrimination? Okay, so you propose that they don't have that conversation with the kid? I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not saying don't. I'm saying can you see the challenge that is created? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely do. And like in the conversation that I had with that friend's brother that I was talking about, we did acknowledge the fact that yes, it causes you to almost see through that lens all the time but it doesn't have to be that way like you can choose to not see everything as such but there are situations in life that you're gonna have to realize that your skin color does make you obvious and it does make you susceptible to racism and like to be ignorant of that could mean death in some situations because if every black man in America acted like they were white, like a lot of them will be dead because like these people will shoot you based on their biases of what black people do like in a second and they will get away with it. So to ignore that you're black in that kind of situation might be to get killed. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I know that's an extreme, that's an extreme obviously, yeah. but like and, that could also ring true in so many situations where like say in a, a professional environment, if you are oblivious to the injustices that might face you just because you're black, it might also hold you back in some ways because there's ways you navigate the system being black that might be different from the way your white friends would. Mm. I don't know. I, I just feel like it's important to acknowledge it, but you don't have to always, like, it doesn't always have to be the lens through which you see every single thing. No, for me, I agree with what you're saying. And that's, I'm not saying we mustn't pretend like we're not black. What I'm saying is that we mustn't pretend like every interaction that we have is because we're black. Yeah, every, yeah. Okay, we're every, 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 every Everything that happens and also to the negative yes i can be aware of the fact that i'm black but some people take the it's it's another thing like we must be aware as black people of our prejudices as black people towards even white people and the fact that we're black i'll give you an example um Mm. i i I used to work at this company right i was one of like the few black people working at the head office you know there were only three of us one was a cleaner the other was a buyer and I was like the quantity severe. I had the position with the most prestige, right? And I was the youngest black person working in the office. This one day, I just started like I was four months into the job. This one day, this guy comes up to me and says, yo, dude, I asked him, how, I need help with this work. He's like, um, how do you eat an elephant? I'm like, what the fuck are you asking me, man? Are you, are you asking me, did you see, did you see an elephant in my lunchbox? That you think, oh, this black guy, he must have brought an elephant back home from 
uh, from home and he's going to eat this shit at lunch. And what does that have to do with the fact that I'm asking you for help? You know, so I just figured this guy didn't want to help me, you know, and I walked out of that interaction so offended, like, yo, man, fuck this guy. You know, like, this is the fact that I'm black that he thinks we eat elephants at home. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've never, I'm black. I've never heard of a nigga eating elephants. So what made this guy, what gave him that idea? And I was pissed, genuinely. Three days went by, you know, and I went back to him. I'm like, look, dude, I'm not getting this shit. It's like, yeah, you know, I asked you how to eat an elephant. I said, dog, I don't know. For the life of me, I've never done that. And I was like, no, you eat it bit by bit. Then he explained to me that this work that I wanted to do, the reason why it was challenging me is because I was trying to eat the whole thing up at one time. I had to break it down bit by bit. (laughs) And I, I had gotten the homie so wrong. I had expected him to be racist because I was working in a white environment. We need to be aware of our white prejudices because there's a time where someone is being racist and there's a time where someone isn't. Oh, yeah, no, that's valid. And that's your responsibility to be able to use your discretion to deduce, but to to always sit on edge and be like, oh, these motherfuckers, they they mean something, don't they? Come on, man, that's going to make your life difficult. That's yeah. true. Yeah, no, I I hear what you're saying. So it's not a case where every chat that you're having will come with some kind of a microaggression attached to it. Mm-hmm. That's what you're saying. No, I, yeah, I fully agree. That's exactly what I was saying. I guess we're coming from two different extremes. Yeah. Um, I guess the last thing we could discuss before we actually let go of the topic of North Africanness is just we had brought it up to um, our guest as to like we asked her basically why North Africa is usually left out of the conversation of Africa because like there's this concept of like sub-Saharan Africa and and then like even she was saying like some woke people in um, North Africa would like, you know, go to West Africa or East Africa and then be like, wow, I'm in the motherland. But she's like, um, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> you were always in Africa, but OK. Yeah. So um, I didn't really get the explanation. I think it has something to do with just their proximity to Europe. Yeah, and like the Arab um, affiliation as well. Do you guys, did you guys really get the explanation? And uh, what are your opinions on that, just generally? Um, well, I think it's, it's like, it goes back to a race thing. When I, when I think about when, when she spoke about it, um, it's, it's, I think it's race and it's also kind of like color, you know, like, mm-hmm. have we concluded that Arab is, is a race? Because if Arab is a race, then if you think about sub-Saharan Africa, that's not a race that, you know, is prominent here, you know. So already you kind of feel like that part of Africa is different from this part of Africa, you know. And then you want to associate that part of Africa with what is closely associated with. So you think of Tunisia, you think of maybe... Egypt. Yeah. And then you think of the fact that... These people, Libya, Sudan, yeah, those, those countries, basically, they, they, they look different. They they look different and they speak different. And like maybe even language-wise, the languages that they speak don't have a supremely deep history in Africa. Whereas, like if you think about Zulu, dog, they speak Zulu here. You know, but when you think of Arabic, 
you know, the same Arabic they speak in Morocco is the same Arabic they're going to speak in Saudi Arabia, which is on another continent. Different dialects, but yeah. You, you understand what I'm saying? So, but you never get a different dialect of Sulu, even in Australia. Or you won't get a different dialect of Sulu in, in Angola, you know, or, or you know, it, you might get one different dialect of Zulu around... Uh, Chief, but then isn't it that uh, Bantu languages, you know, like, are kind of similar if you look across the Sadek region? Yeah, like but... from Tanzania going think, downwards? I'm talking about origins. I'm not saying I know where Arabic comes from, right? But, yeah. but if you think about Arabic, it's there in the Middle East. You know, it's there all the way in... Uh, what's that country? That, that there's one country that I think is Albania, which is it's in Europe, but it's half Islam, you know. And I think isn't Turkey also like that? Yeah, you know. And you think about the fact that in Albania or Turkey, what some of the language that they speak is also in you know it's there in Europe, but some Africans can understand it. And then you think about okay, fine. So are these people hundred percent? African, if they are, then how does this African dialect get understood outside of Africa? You know, so that's, I mean, I'm just hypothesizing. I'm not sure. I was like, maybe maybe that's one reason why even sub-Saharan Africans look at North Africans and say, yeah, but these ones are not real Africans. The language they speak is spoken outside of the country. Basically because of their proximity to the Arab culture, which is seen as originating from um, the Middle East. Yeah. Yeah. And and also a result of of Spanish influence, you know, like you you can't talk about Arabs and not talk about Spain. Really? Yeah. You know, you're going to learn today. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they have a a strong hand in the history of of that culture, Hmm. you know, in terms of like, exploration and colonization and all of that you know the fact that they travel around a lot with with horses a lot of those horses yeah yeah came from spain i didn't know that okay you know that's pretty cool i'm gonna read up on that but i get i guess i see what you mean like a lot they have a lot of like distinctive characteristics that like i guess sub-saharan africa doesn't and so it's easy to not identify them with Africa. But I guess like... And it's also easy for about, them not to identify. Not to Africa. identify. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I feel like there's a stigma attached to being sub-Saharan Africa that they mm-hmm. also... Maybe... This is also me theorizing. Like, I don't know for a fact. Mm-hmm. But um, there might also be things, negative stigmas attached to being sub-Saharan Africa that they kind mm-hmm. of don't want to identify with. Which kind of makes sense, I would say. I personally feel like, you know, for as long as all of our countries' governments are corrupt, you're an African, man. (laughs) (laughs) I'm crying. Corruption is in in every culture, to be honest. You got got nothing to worry about. Be good, you know. (laughs) For, (laughs) you know, like, one thing that I also think upset our guests that that time she she came to visit us just the mention of that corruption in 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 her country yeah be- yeah because i don't know maybe we're not supposed to talk about it but it's it's there it's public information top 25 scandals in the world 
you know, Ben Ali looted $13 billion. Top 25 scandals in the world. <laughs> That's not me saying it because I want to bring shame to your country. I'm just telling you the information that I read, you know, and, yeah, bro. and, and, and maybe, I mean, maybe. And, 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 and the thing is, man, I'm pretty sure that uh, out of those top 25 uh, scandals that are involving corruption, I don't want to say most of them, but a significant portion would probably include African countries. I'm sure uh, South Africans' arms deal from 1999 is probably in that list, correct? Come on. What, what about the story these girls told us about the snake that chowed the money? Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Nigeria is corruption free. Thank you. <laughs> I don't remember ever having said that. Thank you. <laughs> all, all, all I'm saying is like, you know, it's, it's like, it's interesting. And maybe this can be my, my personal final point or on our discussion regarding our discussion with that lady is like, I don't know. I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of if you are talking about a country that's not your country and it's not perfect. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's one of the reasons why we didn't end up getting that interview is because we were speaking, or I'll speak for myself anyway. I took that conversation lightly regarding that country completely unaware of the politics of of Tunisia and my light approach was taken as disregard for the challenges of the people in that society Mm -hmm. you know that night might not be the case but that's how I interpreted it for myself to make it make sense because otherwise I didn't understand why um, someone given the platform to speak their mind on the situation they face and how they relate with their home would would not take it. You know, uh, maybe maybe the approach was a bit light and because it was light, it came across as disrespectful. My takeaway, in addition to like what you're saying, my takeaway is just like, especially with this collaboration that we're doing where we're trying to, you know, get more African voices out there. Mm. I think that was a really big learning opportunity for me because it's basically realizing that, yes, we're African, but our different countries, different regions have a lot of nuances that all of us aren't privy to. Like even hearing you guys' experiences in South Africa and like not seeing some commonalities I had thought that all African countries shared Mm. just is like eye-opening for me. So like, I guess approaching the next interview, for instance, we'd try to get like a feel for like, what is this culture like? And like, how do we approach this um, conversation and everything? So like Africa, unlike how general media has put it, is very, very, very diverse. Broad, yeah. And it's not one country at all. So like- yeah, really and even even that. even us as Africans, we shouldn't make the mistake of assuming that because we're from here, we understand everything about right. here. Exactly, hundred percent, hundred percent. Africa over here is not Africa over there. It's not Africa at top, it's not Africa at bottom. <laughs> you gotta understand that yeah. there are different Africas out here, and the sooner we understand that, the better. Exactly, and that's the word. And that's the word. All right, guys. We out. Thank you so much. Peace out. See you guys soon. Yeah, buddy.